Hey, listeners. Hey, Nicole. Hello, listeners. Break the silence, because otherwise it gets really weird at the start of an episode if we're just quiet. Hello, Warwick. Hi. Hey, got a joke for you. You ready? What? You've got a joke? I do. Stop making fun of me. Are you ready? Yes. What did the mama cow say to the calf? Nope. It's pasture bedtime. Welcome to the Tradies and Business Podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade, helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. (laughs) Yes, my daughter will like that one. Told you. And she'll roll her eyes and go... Oh, dad. <laughs> Which is well, in response to all of my dad jokes. Don't tell her it came from me then. Let let <laughs> let your legendary dad joke status continue to build. Legendary, not so much in a good way though. No. All right, listeners, we have another guest. We have had so many guests on the show of late. It, that's what happens when we actually... Uh, give up responsibility for getting things done to our team and they go out and do it. When we get out of our own way, hey. Yeah, yeah. So we've had some fantastic guests and I'm excited to talk to today's guest um, because I think this lady is doing something super cool for the trades, with the trades. Um, And it certainly solves a big problem for most tradies. So I expect to see... Uh, Renee's business take off in the next little while, less I hope it does. Uh, Renee Boardman, welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to you guys today. <laughs> I just hope Warwick hasn't just given you the kiss of death, though. You know, when like, <laughs> you're telling some the precipice of going bananas and somebody talks it up and it's like the kiss of death. Talk it up. Well, we'll already have to get um, some really, really large players in the field. <laughs> Yeah, but they do a really rubbish job, Renee, so I wouldn't they be do. worried about that. No. We're not going to mention any names and slag them off. But... Nah, not at all. People will figure it out pretty. <laughs> I knew he was going to, actually. I thought, <laughs> ah, blow it. I'll drop one of the big, big, big names. And I thought, no, nah, they'd be the sort of company that would actually come after us and say, you know, cease and desist from uh, saying those nasty things mm. about us. Anyway, You've got plenty of back nasty things about And can you Renee. stop sort of dragging poor Renee into this conversation that you're actually <laughs> having without Renee? Renee's sitting here quietly just going, okay, please can you not get me in trouble with our competitors, please? <laughs> that would raise your profile. Yeah. <laughs> Any publicity? No. <laughs> All right. Um, Renee, our listeners love to know about the people we get on this show. Some of our most popular episodes are actually our real tradie stories mm. and you have a trade background um, of sorts. I love your background. Speaking of backgrounds, haha, boom, boom, on um, your Zoom screen here. Uh, so can you tell our listeners a bit more about who the heck is Renee Boardman? Yeah. So um, I was very much a car enthusiast as a young person, um, very into my old cars. Um, really enjoyed the social scene of it as well. And I guess growing up, the idea of going into one of the trades really well presented to me as a career option. But fortunately, um, through that social kind of network that I had back in the day before social media was a thing, um, 
I got the opportunity to do some time in a couple of different workshops and ended up doing um, a pre-trade in automotive um, and going on to do an apprenticeship in a shop, a small shop that would do sort of everything. It did a little bit of everything. And um, the main tradesman who owned the shop was very much a kind of an old school kind of guy that believed that you needed to have skills in every bandit. I mean, he wasn't really keen on on you just learning one area, whether it was mechanical or paint or panel. He really wanted me to um, experience all three of those. So that was an advantage for me in my early parts of my career because obviously, um, you know, as an apprentice, you don't have a lot of money and I was still very much into my cars and doing them up. And so it gave me the opportunity to do a lot of that stuff myself um, after hours, many, many hours I spent in that workshop after work. <laughs> The early hours of the morning, um, probably much to the disgust of the people that live close by with me running a grinder or a <laughs> at a time. Um, so yeah, my, my main background in the trains was automotive and I ended up doing my apprenticeship in uh, refinishing, which is car painting basically. It's part of collision repair. Um, I had these big uh, aspirations of doing all three of the trains, but I think once you slog your way through one of them, Mm. kind of sick of those um so the apprenticeship wages and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff so i didn't actually end up pursuing it further but i did still uh spend quite a few years in automotive before trying a bunch of other things and uh one of those included actually trading apprentices myself which i found super satisfying and it was definitely um one of those career bucket list items that i really was stoked to be able to cross off there wow I don't I'm know not... too many people that would have no. train apprentices on their bucket list. Sorry, Coxie. <laughs> we all think of the it's same, the thing, same like thing, like training apprentices. Oh my gosh. Pull out my teeth, please. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, there's a difference between being the trade person in the workshop, training the apprentice and actually being able to go out and be the trainer assessor for the RTO, getting to see these um, apprentices in their own environment and, and checking them off as they progress through mm. their trade. Because you get to see the progress in sort of big jump, whereas when you've got an apprentice, you know, at your side and you're trying to mentor them through and train them through and, and get them on board with all those skills that can be really, really frustrating. I luckily didn't have to deal with that. I just thought it was important. So I guess that's why I found it to be much more satisfying. Yeah, nice. It's an interesting career path. It's not one that... Um many ladies choose. Like there's a lot of us, I, I, I too am a, somebody who I don't like necessarily working on cars and I do enjoy spending time with others working on cars or spending time in fast cars. I, but there's not, I think it's grown in popularity maybe in the last 10 years or so. Prior to that, there weren't a lot of ladies working in that field as such as mechanics, etc. I wonder if that was challenging, Renee, for you at any stage in your early career, given that it wasn't a, a first career choice for most. Um, look, I guess this is something that uh, is a bit of a dicey question to answer because when whenever you ask that question, you start to feel like you're answering that on behalf of all women in the trade. And I mm. don't speak to my own personal experience. Absolutely. And um, there was there were no other women in my pre-trade course. There were no other women in trade school when I was going. Um, I was the only female in any of the workshops I ever worked in. I'm just trying to think of that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, apart from, you know, service advisors or people in the office, 
I was the only female on the tours that I knew of at the time. I know I wasn't the only one in existence, obviously, but just yeah. my experience. And I had like a pretty positive um, supportive environment from a lot of the, the tradesmen that I worked with. Um, I did experience a couple of, I get borderline inappropriate mm-hmm. kind of comments from time to time. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, um, most of the tradesmen that I work with super respectful, uh, very, very supportive, um, very accommodating. Like, let's not um, pretend it isn't a disadvantage strength-wise being a female in the industry, but I, I suppose you put a deal with that in a way that is smarter. Um, mm. And there, there are a lot more tools available mm. to make the job easier mm. for people that don't necessarily have that strength. And those things should be in place for men as well anyway, for education, health and safety reasons. So my experience has been actually really positive um that, that everyone was different though and i know that some people do experience a lot and in the automotive industry you're lucky because most of your work is carried out in one place yep. um, i know that a lot of female trades and I, I know quite a few female construction trades um that struggle because a lot of their jobs are on site um portaloo don't necessarily cater to the needs of women in the way um, Gosh, I don't even think they cater to the needs of most men these days. You're 100% right. And, and I think they, I have a lot of respect for women who work in those trades where you're going from work site to work site because that is not easy. And, and I guess because you're not working as part of a consistent team, mm-hmm. because you're working around different trade people from different um, industries or in different parts of the industry, a lot, you're, you're dealing with a lot of fresh faces, so you don't necessarily always have that supportive crew around you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, everyone's experience is different. I've had a very positive experience. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting road, and I couldn't agree. I've already said this today on a different podcast. I could not agree more around the whole Portaloo concept. <laughs> It's really challenging. Uh, and in my own experience, I, I I wouldn't say I had a hard or a difficult experience. I'm not a tradesperson, let me be clear, um, and have run a building company for many, many years. I wouldn't say my my journey was hard or particularly challenging. And there were times when you kind of butted up against old stereotypes that were a little different. And with a supportive crew, it was quite easy to push through. So in, in my case, we probably had uh, three subcontractors we had to move on because we couldn't come to a mutual space in which we could all work together. They didn't, I was much younger than them. If I'm frank, I don't think it was only my female sex. I think it also came about from being younger and not knowing what I was talking about. And so therefore carrying through with my directions could be quite challenging. Um, I can also be very stubborn and, and perhaps a little pigheaded at times and maybe that didn't seem, maybe it's not been really <laughs> <All> well. <laughs> Stop it, Warwick. I'm being very honest. We're recording this. I'm, I'm going to save this episode for future use in our business oh, meetings. I? Oh, <laughs> so maybe there were times that uh, I created those outcomes myself as well and I also needed some of that to be able to push through what in my early careers doing different things, I worked in a fruit shop the first time with lots of men. I found that really challenging. I actually found that harder than working in construction. So I think um, for me, it's very much about my own mindset, often then said about the the tone for the rest of the team for the most part. And if I was able to stand up pretty quickly and say, no, I'm not going to be treated that way or be confident in what I had to say or do, I had a better outcome for everybody. So I think 
some of those, there are definitely some women out there that have found it really, really tough. And I feel like that's becoming less and less as we keep moving forward. So good to hear that you had a great experience. Renee, where did you go from there? Like you, you're working, um, you, you're from New Zealand, if I remember correctly, when we chatted a few weeks ago. So you were working yeah. in, in a workshop in New Zealand. Where to from there? What happened next? Um, so I kind of got um, booked into becoming a youth worker at one of the high schools over there. Um, and it was one of those situations where, like, that wasn't even really a career in New Zealand until very, very recently. Um, and so back then I felt quite lucky to have that office. So I took that role, which took me away from the workshop. I still um, sort of dabbled in my own time. Um but I, I just spent a bit of time working as a youth worker. And then that eventually brought me over to Australia, um, to Alice Springs. But I worked as a youth worker there for a little while um, before transitioning into sort of training and employment. Um, there's so many opportunities over here that you kind of get to try basically whatever you're interested in. And um, so I spent a few years and a, an employment, uh, working in employment under what people might know as sort of CDP or um, work for the doll, um, running a lot of those programs um, and working with people to help them get into training and employment. Um, and then after that, uh, I moved to Queensland and that's where I got back into painting, um, cars and trucks. And then working as a trainer for an RTO over there that took care of a lot of apprentices across Queensland. So... I uh, spent a lot of time on the road, up and down um, all parts of Queensland, getting to know the countryside over there and uh, working with a lot of apprentices and workshops um, over there before coming up with the idea of um, a job platform for the trade. Yeah. I've just got to touch on the temperature difference from New Zealand to Alice Springs. Holy heck. <laughs> Even I would struggle coming from Brisbane into Alice Springs. How on earth did you find that? Um, it was intense. Like I moved over in it was September was the time of year that I moved over. And um, it was like I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Like, I guess um, then you can read as much as you want about a place, but until you get there, you can't really understand what it is. Yeah. But I have to say, because I'm back in Alice now, um, I actually love it here. And the difference in temperature, like, just in Alice Springs alone is pretty hectic. Like yeah. I go back home to New Zealand sometimes in the winter and I don't really struggle too much because the winter time here, mm. okay, it gets up to 20 degrees, but it's a very dry 20 degrees and overnight it can get down to negative four with no humidity. So that's bone chilling. At least yeah. you, like, when it rains, it's not that cold. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's a good point. Must have been an initial shock to the system. It's colder than Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a gnarly place with temperature wise that's for sure yeah, yeah. absolutely so Renee into, sorry Mark into um I guess employment or recruitment uh which I'm keen to talk about Trado but uh what what were you seeing that sort of inspired you to get into this space Renee around employment yeah um well, I was actually working in a remote community um, about 140 k outside of Alice Springs. 
mm. as a trainer, um, you know, that youth work thing kind of segued into training literacy and numeracy and workplace skills. Um, and I was working with a, a bunch of um, Indigenous people in a community called Hermansburg, and it was a great community I had, uh, a really great time there. The people that I was working with, um, they were excellent, and they also, the Aboriginal organisation where it was set, where I would um, do the training, they also had a contract for the employment services stuff, and, and they wanted me to come over and work with them because of my youth work background and because they'd seen the relationship that I've managed to build with the students um, while teaching sort of improved uh, literacy and numeracy. Um, and that kind of like the career progression through there was quite um, swift. And so I moved very quickly through that um, organisation from you know, um, being a, an on-the-ground youth worker to kind of overseeing their work with adult programs and trying to come up with um, strategies to... I guess, make sure that people are doing what they need to do to keep improving their skills and to keep improving their employability, but also making sure that what they're doing is meaningful in their environment and making sure that the projects that they're working on were benefiting um, the members of the community and benefiting themselves as well. Um, and I found it really enjoyable. It was really, really satisfying. And I got to see a lot of communities and uh, meet a lot of people that... Um, have a lot to offer, but they unfortunately live in a region where the opportunities aren't mm. as fair as they are in the bigger places. And once you kind of get into an environment like that, it's really difficult to walk away because it is so enjoyable. Mm. Yep. Yep. So tell us a bit about Trado. When was, when was it uh, born? And uh, give our listeners a bit of an idea of, of what the opportunity is for them as well. Mm. Yeah, sure. So um, my partner at the time was a house painter and um, with a lot of house painting um, trades, you are working on ABN a lot. Um, sometimes you've got regular work with one um, employer or one main contractor and sometimes you're taking on work yourself and I guess um, watching my partner struggle a little bit with that workflow, making sure that there was enough work coming in, but also when the work was there, having in, you know enough help to make it happen in a timely fashion, um, kind of made me think about the fact that there's not there wasn't really anything in place at the time to address that, um, to be able to connect people with each other um, in a non-competitive way, because we've got to also recognise that sometimes that exists um, within these dynamics to try and make sure that there were ways to get help when you needed it and also to fill in the gap between jobs. Um, and then when I looked at it from a bit of a bigger perspective, especially um, with all the background I had in employment services, I kind of thought that the, the things that were available already for trade weren't really catering to the needs. So, for example, you could go onto a a large job website and you can search keywords and you can search um, location, but you can't really narrow it down from there. And I know that those websites also have the ability for you to search candidates and kind of whittle them down according to their um, resume, but not a lot of people in the trade, I get are willing to upload that kind of stuff to be able to be searched a lot. So the idea I'd had for a long time was we need something where 
let's say you've got a job coming up um, and you need somebody with a white card and maybe uh, an IRATA ticket to do rope access or working your height through an elevated work platform ticket. Um, if you had a big enough database of tradespeople who were looking for work or open to work, um, you could narrow that search down if you had that information and say, look for somebody who's located in Brisbane, who's got their um, EWP, who's got a trade subject in painting, um, and it has availability at that time. And there are a lot of other things that I noticed that the the larger, I guess, job websites don't really cater to when it comes to trade. Um, and a lot of things about them that kind of put the average person off. Mm. So I started to think about what type of service or what type of platform would really service uh, what a lot of trade people might be looking for. And I, I don't, I guess, assume to know what everyone is looking for. I know what my experience is and my, and my previous partner's experience. And um, what I came up with was not really reinventing um, anything revolutionary, but kind of um, taking what is already available and trying to cater it way more towards the needs of uh, the trade. So at the moment, if you look at a lot of the new, uh, sorry, a little, at a lot of the places that are available now online, the search engines and the, and the job boards, um, they're quite expensive. Mm. Um, they cost a lot of money you to advertise and they don't really go for very long those ads and we know that if you're running a building business or if you're um, a civil contractor you might need someone now for a couple of weeks and then you might need to re-advertise that position again in three months time mm -hmm. and if you've got a one month ad with uh, another job provider you're not going to be able to keep that going to keep recruiting because every time you need to find someone, it's going to cost you, you know, yeah. $400 to advertise for somebody. We know. <laughs> I think the way I've done this in our own businesses, non-trade businesses, and it's it's like, oh my gosh, come on, we just spent 400 bucks and we've got to go again, yeah. again. So, And yeah. it's like the, the stats say a lot of these um, construction and automotive trade businesses, they are owned by small family business um, owners. They are predominantly, you know, uh, five to 20 employees. They don't necessarily have the recruitment budget that the larger organizations have. Mm -hmm. So to come up with $400 every time you need to employ someone and then not know if you're actually going to get any quality candidates out of that, it is, it is quite a lot to ask of a business. And so therefore I thought surely not everyone who's actually hiring is even using those websites because mm. It's preventative to a lot of them. It's really hard to justify that amount of money. Yep. Um, and we know that sometimes when you advertise on the larger job platforms, you get a lot of applicants, but they're not necessarily appropriate applicants. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes those applicants are not in Australia yet. They want to be, but they're not right now. Um, or they don't actually have any experience in the field that you're recruiting for. <laughs> um, <laughs> or in my experience working in employment services, they are simply just trying to get their 20 jobs a month in. They're not necessarily taking a lot of notice of what you're requiring. They're just putting an application so they can say they've applied for 20 jobs a month. So uh, I guess that was another thing I wanted to address as well is, is make a service like that more accessible to more of those businesses who don't have those budgets, who don't have 
I guess, the ability to spend that money on recruiting every time they need someone new, which is why we made our um, a lot more affordable. Yeah. And specific to the trades as well, which I think is mind-blowing that some of these other big companies who shall remain mostly nameless um, haven't cottoned onto the idea that their platforms suck for tradespeople. And they were, they were originally built for professional services. I mean, most of those platforms were built with accounting and mm. sales positions and all of those sorts of, you know, white collar career positions in mind. So it's, it's not a tradie friendly environment. No, not at all. And, um, I like how you mentioned about industry specific, because I know as a tradesperson, I did not want to work as a labor hire. Um, person. I didn't want to be kind of pimped out by another company to whoever they thought fit to do whatever it is that they wanted to do while someone else was getting a cut. And I know that um, my experience with recruitment agencies was once I've got your phone number, that's it. You're never going to stop hearing from them. Like they could literally place you in a job one week and two weeks later be trying to get you to go into a different job. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like the ethics to that at all. And I know it's not all of them, but uh, I think <laughs> everyone has ever given their phone number to a, a recruitment agency before understands what I'm talking about. Hey, Tradies in Business was here. Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure. I'm joined by Coxie, of course. <laughs> Hello. You may not know this, Tradie or tradie wife or whoever you are listening to this program, but we're business coaches. <laughs> oh my gosh, that feels weird no. to say. <laughs> but we do actually work with people just like you to solve a bunch of problems. And we have this fantastic program called the Tradiepreneur Program, and that's how we do it. And we do it with a wonderful community of trade business owners who are all trying to fix or improve or change things to progress. Things like... Getting behind on quoting, Coxie. Feeling overwhelmed, behind on your invoicing, feeling really stressed or frustrated about the money stuff. Sometimes you can pay the bills, sometimes you can't. What about staff? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh, staff. Trying to get them to do what you want them to do, if you can even find them in the first place. Uh, There's so many struggles. And we've seen clients tackle these things in their trade businesses in a quite a short space of time, to be honest, Mm -hmm. during the program and recruit staff at a time where everybody was saying you can't get good staff, Mm -hmm. improve their quality from their team, collect their debts much more quickly. We have sessions. Tips. Yes. Getting tips. Yes. So uh, people rounding up, customers rounding up the invoice by hundreds of dollars Mm -hmm. because they're so happy with the sales process and the experience of dealing with the trade business owner and their team. So some amazing stories from our clients. But, you know, as they say in the the commercials, don't take it from us. Uh, (laughs) Hear what some of our clients have to say. Coming into Christmas, we are not worried about money. We've got enough money in the bank to pay everybody's leave. There's work booked in for the new year. And for the first time in a long time, we'll be having three weeks off and not worrying about Christmas. That's probably the biggest win of all. Using the cash flow forecast, I've been able to look into the future and see where I'm going to be situated financially. And it's actually started to have a huge bearing on whether or not I make purchases. By far, one of the best things about working with Nick and Woz are the other businesses that are working alongside them. It is amazing 
how empowering it is to be working alongside like-minded people who have similar goals, similar troubles. We can all relate to each other and everybody helps everybody out by figuring out problems with you that they may have faced previously. Everybody has solutions and constructive feedback and it's an incredibly friendly, warm, welcoming environment, not threatening at all. From every job, I know that I will get a sustainable wage that's industry leading. I can have at least 10 to 20% profit and I can pay taxes, super, all of that. And I do not have to question whether or not I can because of the way that it's been built. And that is thanks to traders in business and what they've taught me and what I've learned. So there you go. There's some real people. We did not pay them to say those things. <laughs> and I think that sounds a lot better than Coxie and I reading them out. We really would love for you to check out more about how you could take your trade business to where you would like it to be. Surely you have a vision of what things could be like or what you wish they were like on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. um, whether that is reducing stress or actually making more money. Maybe it's spending more time with the family, taking more holidays, having the choice mm. that you really wanted when you started your business instead of this beast that seems to be there for many of you listening to this program. So if you want to find out more about how we do this through the Tradiepreneur program, Coxie's going to tell you all about it. <laughs> I'm actually not. I'm going to be really secretive and uh, keep all of our magic up our sleeves. What I would like you to do, though, is head on over to tradiesandbusiness.com.au. You can learn all about us, why we do what we do, and how you can work with us, what that actually looks like. There's a whole bunch of free stuff there for you to download, uh, lots of options. We've always got new stuff going up onto the website and a great place for you to learn a whole bunch more about how you can work with us. You can even book a 15-minute chat. For free. Free. That's how abundant we are. So head over to the website, uh, check it out, book a chat with us, and we'd love to find out if you'd be a great fit for the Tradiepreneur community and start hanging out with some of those people that you just heard from. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Renee, if, if this whole thing with Trado doesn't work out, you've got a career in politics already pigeonholed for you. I've never met anyone quite so diplomatic. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. It's like I'm I'm sitting here wanting to unleash on some people. And it's so professional, which yeah. you know, it's a great reflection on you, Renee, and it's probably not surprising reflection on Nick and I. Uh, <laughs> well, you guys have obviously got employer experience. Yeah. You've probably got a lot more um, strong opinions about that. And I have strong opinions too, but I also recognise that there is a time and a place for those services. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes business owners, they don't actually have the time to be chasing up and sometimes it's easier to throw money at that problem. That's right. Um, and when it comes to labour hire, it does help in those situations where you do need someone reliable for a short break of time. But I just think for the benefit of the industry, um, developing a nice, solid workforce where people have got security in their jobs, have got great relationships with the people that they're working for and um, feeling like they're actually part of a real company and not just, I guess, being used. I mean... We're working for money. We're all being used, right? Then oh, yeah. it's a little bit less, um, I guess, icky when you're doing it directly with the company that you're helping to build. If that makes sense, that's right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's not. It's not just a transaction. It's people's lives, and I think that's the that's the yuck thing about some of that is that the some of those companies 
just treat people like a commodity and it's like they get them in a job and then as you say they're harassing them to go and take another job because they can pick up another fee and that's where and I like Simon Sinek's um, take on some of this stuff is where you know where the profit motive gets disconnected from the people motive and unfortunately that happens in all industries Um, there's there's examples where we can you know even business coaches believe it or not Mm. Uh, who are just driven by the profit and uh, mm. something that Nick and I are proud of with our community and we get consistent feedback that we actually care about our clients. Um, and that's why we get a bit jacked up about recruitment agencies and large jobs platforms because we hear from trade business owners how difficult that can be, how expensive it is, how frustrating it is, and how unsuccessful in the long run a lot of those outcomes are for the business owner and for the employees as well. And I think like there's another aspect here too that people are not addressing and that is the fact that um, a lot of these recruitment agencies and labour hire companies, they're recycling the same workforce. Mm -hmm. So you can only steal from Peter to pay Paul so many times. You can only move a worker from one business to another business to another business as many, like you're not actually solving the workforce shortage. You're just moving them around and I think what I really want to achieve with Trado is I want to start um, bringing the, the new people in who are entering the workforce and, and filling those roles instead of just moving people around. So we've got strategies in place where we're wanting to focus on um, signing up apprentices to the Trado platform so that once they finish their apprenticeship, they're starting to look for a, a more permanent role because we know a lot of those um, apprentices do their, their time through what's called a GTO or a group training organisation, which operates as a labour hire essentially, mm. um, but in a different way where the apprentice has an opportunity to work for a number of different employers and get a range of experience and they're learning. So there are good versions of the labour hire model. There are still some people who don't agree with the GTO model and that valid as well because not every single group training organization that does this does it in an ethical and supportive way to their apprentices Mm. but what we want to do with Trado is really um, start to focus on how we can support more apprentices into the industry more people wanting to enter into the different trades um, and start to build a network within Trado that helps to feed those people once they're qualified into these um, you know, small family businesses to fill those skills shortages because as well as the fact that um, recruitment agencies tend to hold really tightly or the labour hire companies want to hold tightly to those employees and not let them go into those permanent positions, um, something else that kind of bugs people about this and that they see on the larger platforms is that some of them are actually fake yeah. and aren't real. They're actually, um, the job that, I get um, recruitment agents put on the end just to gather applicants, mm. gather phone numbers, gather emails. Oh, sorry, that position has now been filled, but we'll retain your details and get in contact with you <laughs> when we get another position. Like, does that ring any bells? Oh, yes, big bells. Yeah. I, I remember being on the receiving end of some of that uh, when I was a young bloke chasing yeah. work in my 20s. And, and then you're on their list. Oh my gosh. If ever, if any of our listeners ever want to learn how to, well, I'm not saying it's good, um, but there's some pretty high level skills and persistence 
qualities that you could learn if you went and worked in that recruiting space because like they just do not give up man it's just like ring and ring and ring and ring and ring and ring. Oh, they they yeah and they they know what works and yeah cool so building up a a pool of apprentices um who stay outside of the the uh, recruitment uh system uh, you know directly within, I guess, you know, your environment is, is what we're talking about here and I. Um, what about non-apprentices? Is this an area that you guys are, are servicing as well? Yeah, like ideally we'd love to build, I guess, a great network of tradespeople registered with us with the purpose of them being able to then, I guess, be recruited by employers. I mean, there's a functionality within Trado that has a list of all the tradespeople that are registered with us who have consented to their details being shown. We don't show surnames. We don't give out phone numbers or emails. Um, but an employer can search through the tradespeople that are registered, um, the ones, the tradespeople that have actually consented to being shown in this. So it's optional. Not everybody wants to be shown in this. And they might come up, they might be able to do that search according to the licenses and tickets that they require and find a trade person in the area that they think would be a suitable person to come work for them. And what they can do is they can then invite that person to come and apply for their job. Um, so that leaves the control in the trade person's hands. This is, they are in control of their data. They are in control of whether or not they get contacted by employers mm-hmm. and they're not going to be like the data is not going to be scraped off our site by a recruiter or a labor hire company who they're actually it's now terms and conditions that they're not actually um, eligible to have an account with us to be able to access any of that information. Um, and it, it gives a way for employers to actually make connections with tradespeople in the area that um, are suitable and, and would be potentially um, employable in that situation. Of course, this works better with the more people we've got registered, um, but that's the idea of it anyway. Um, and us. It's basically yeah. like the, the good old-fashioned uh, piece of paper with all the little torn tabs <laughs> at the bottom with the mobile number repeated 10 times across the bottom. It's like qualified painter wanted, uh, you know, award rates start immediately and you yeah. tear off the little number at the bottom if you see it and you're interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I'm, this is not um, a brand new innovative idea. Job websites have been around ever since the internet existed. Mm. Um, I guess we're just trying to make it more um, more applicable to the trade. And uh, and one thing that I think we've all seen when we've been trolling through looking for ads, um, and I actually keep what I call is a hall of shame of really bad job ads that I've seen uh, on some of those bigger platforms. I can't believe people pay $400 to write two sentences in caps lock looking for, <laughs> for a mechanic or something like that, but I'm sure we've all seen it. Yep, I think, and done it. Yeah, well, so no, uh-uh. uh, I, I, that was one of my big problems with some of those other bigger companies is they, they speak in corporate lingo and they're actually quite dissuading for a tradie to even want to go and search them for a long, long time, quite a few years ago now, um, other secondhand type services were the places where people would go and advertise for um, tradespeople rather than these big corporation type websites because they speak in that corporate lingo that it's not transferable to a tradie. They can't speak that same way. So 
I know, Renee, this has been a focus for you guys and, and what you've done and what you're creating, along with your Hall of Shame, which I really love. We might have a few we can contribute, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is helping people write their job ads because it's not something that comes natural to most trade business owners or tradies full stop. Can you tell us about how you're encouraging them to stick to a bit of a formula so that they're able to drive the results they're looking for? Yeah, well, um, we recently um, partnered up with Capricorn Co-op, which is um, uh, an automotive association. And one of the things they asked us was, you know, like how how can you help our um, businesses to actually um, make your ads more effective? Can you put some templates in there? Can you provide some templates for our guys to use? And I went back to the team, um, because we've got a really lovely team down in Melbourne um, with Final Sprint who help with all the development side of things. And I said to them, look, can we add some templates? And I was 100% thinking that this was going to involve me writing 50 different templates for different trades to give these guys something to start with. And then I started thinking, well, great. Now we're going to have every single plumbing job going to sound the same because it's fine for the template. And um, they actually came back and said, look, we've had a look at the systems that we've already got. And we asked people to put the job title in and the industry and what qualifications are required uh, when they list the job ad. And now we've actually, we've got a function we can add in here where we can use AI to write the job ad for them. So what happens is you can add your job title. So say you're looking for a mechanic in Adelaide. Um, you need them to have their Cert 3 and light vehicle. Um, it's a full-time job. And you put that information in and then you hit the button that says uh, generate job ad. And it will actually type out a basis for you to start with of a job ad. Now, why do you think with like AI, it's all very kind of hit and miss sometimes it's really great sometimes it's something that you're not really quite in agreement with um so you can regenerate it if you're not happy with it mm-hmm. and once you find one that kind of suits your business and suits the narrative that you guys have you can change the details that you're not happy with it will automatically input your business name and it will input the qualifications that you already put in there it'll take a random stab as much as the computer can at the kind of things that are required skills wise but you can also add things in that are unique to your business and edit it the way that you want to, but it gives you something to start with, mm. which is really hard for a lot of people. I know myself having um, to write and employ, like write job ads and employ people for it. takes a lot of time. Like I've spent hours trying to do that before. And if I had something to start with that I knew I could just change a couple of things about, it would save me so much time. So that's what we've actually implemented. And that's a feature that's available to anyone listing a job ad. I love that idea and what a great use of AI. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A quick turnaround. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Um, and that's that's the whole thing is user tools that are available to us. Uh, there wouldn't be many motor mechanics around that aren't using scan tools, mm. uh, you know, instead of trying to diagnose things the good old-fashioned way. So, yeah, it's the same in business. And I think a lot of our listeners have maybe figured out um, or been pleasantly surprised that some of the tools that are available can make their life easier as a business owner. And I think we all could do a better job of embracing some of the new tools that are available. And Trado is one of those. So you guys are uh, just getting off the ground, Renee. Is that right? How long have you been, um, how long have you had the platform available? So um, we released the platform as it is now in November last year. So we're still in the early stages. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, we, we are seeing some really good growth and a lot of people um, taking it up. Um, I guess it's, it's, it is the early stages and I think people still are a little apprehensive because we know for a long time there's been this big um, need for staff and everyone's need of staff. So everyone's placed and, and they've been through the process of trying to recruit and maybe it's been unsuccessful so people have felt a little, I guess, burned by the experience and mm. It's like the the motivation to keep going with that has been a little bit low that I've noticed recently. Um, but it's like anything. Once more people start using it, we'll be able to build our name as the place to go for trading design work. And something I tell people um, who are just starting out using us is that we we're definitely not going to promise to give you more applicants than bigger uh, websites. We just simply don't have the exposure so many job seekers but what i can promise is you're not going to get like 200 applicants from another country where they don't have a visa to this country um they don't have any experience in the training or recruiting forward you're going to get a lot less spam applicants and hopefully a lot more actual real applicants yeah um the problem is you know there are still trades that we can't get an applicant for and i'm, I'm not going to try and pretend that we're getting everybody 50 applicants for a job mm. it's just the nature of it but our approach to it is more about promoting the individual ad so for every uh job listing we get on our website we promote it through our social media we promote it through our other industry network um we run promotions um boosted posts on facebook for specific ads to try and generate that interest and we run it um, towards a tailored audience for that job um, for that employer's area as well so say for example hmm. you know you're, you're recruiting for a mechanic in the sunshine coast you know we'll tailor the audience that we're promoting that to um to an audience that typically a mechanic would be part of hmm. um who's listed mechanic as their de demographic or their work um occupation in that area um, to try and make sure that the people that are right for that job are actually seeing that ad. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's still a building process, and I think we're getting more and more applicants each day. Yeah, word will spread. People will use it. Um, it'll get a reputation. And like anything new, uh, it needs people to get behind it if it's if it's to actually, well, not succeed, but I guess, uh, you know, the cool thing about this is there's a benefit there for those of you listening. If you've been frustrated with any of the other job platforms or recruitment channels, um, this is an opportunity for you to get behind something that the more of us that get on and use it, the more useful it becomes. Yeah. Um, so it seems to be one of those uh, mythical win-win situations, Renee. And I can't remember the last time um, a large job platform did any Facebook advertising for me when I was recruiting for somebody. That's normally left up to the business to have to go and copy and paste my ad from from the internet and put it onto social media. Uh, you know, that's at my expense after I've paid the 400 bucks. So I think that's a fantastic initiative as well, that you're doing some of the work that Nick and I uh, basically encourage our clients to do in the Trainingpreneur program. It's like, okay, you've got your job ad listed. Yeah. That's only the first step. Now you've got to go and promote the damn thing so that tradies will see it because not too many tradies are hanging out on those other websites that we're not mentioning. <laughs> so when none of us get sued. <laughs> you can't. I guess, like, for me, this has been, like, this has been three and a half years in the making. 
Like the very first version of this, I created myself by learning how to code and it's a while and it was very cumbersome. That one is just to see if there would even be interest in this before getting, um, to before putting a lot of more of my resources into it, I guess. And um, so for me, I, I don't see this as a, uh, this isn't like a, a, a fad for me, like it's three and a half years deep and I'm not going anywhere. So I, I'd want to see it succeed. I want to see businesses able to take better control of their recruitment and be more successful in that part of the business as well. Mm. Yep. I love it. And like a true tradie, you built it yourself to start with. And how I You want something done, do it yourself. <laughs> um, that's super cool, Renee. Um, I'm going to say again, listeners, uh, go and check it out. Get on it. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to get into the ground floor as well with something right. reasonably new um, <clears throat> before Renee gets a business coach and increases the fees dramatically. <laughs> so jump in now while you can. <laughs> Sorry, but that, that's next endeavor as well. I'm sure inflation will exist, but I'm, it's going to remain affordable. That's a huge, huge um, part of our ethos. So, yeah. And I'm more than happy to provide um, a sign-up link for you guys, for any of your listeners, um, to be able to try it out for free for a while and just see if it's even suitable for you. No, love that. Yeah. We'll put uh, we'll put a link in the description to this episode and the show notes on the website. Uh, but if someone is listening to this, Renee, and they're sitting there with their mobile phone in hand and they're like, okay, where do I go? I want to check this thing out. I need someone today. Uh, where can they go to check out your amazing platform, Renee? Well, if I had a fantastic business coach at the beginning, they would have told me not to choose a domain with a hype and an absolute <laughs> <laughs> It's very true. <laughs> um, so it's www.trade-o dot com dot au. Pop it in the show notes for you so you can find it quite easily as well. Easy to link to. Um, but I asked you one. Everything's Australian as well, by the way. It's all made here. Our developers are all in Melbourne. Mm. Don't outsource any of it. We're really, really firm believers in keeping it um, onshore. We don't. We're not interested in in getting any of our development work done overseas. So. If that is important to any of your listeners, then that's important to us too. How hard was that for a Kiwi to say? Kept it all on Australian shores. I would send it over the dip. Very easy to me, trust me. <laughs> There's obviously a reason you left New Zealand. Hello <laughs> to my Kiwi listeners. Um, awesome, Renee. Well, I, uh, I'm excited to see where your product or your service goes. I think it's, it's going to fill a big gap in the market for trade business owners, but also for tradespeople looking for work. Um, I think there's a big mismatch between the two and it's still very much local area, word of mouth, who knows who. And I think this is a fantastic opportunity for people to get behind something and, and um, not make it your own listeners, but uh, certainly get behind it and see that it succeeds um, because it can only benefit all of you. So Renee, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Renee. Right, thank you. You've been listening to the Tradies in Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesinbusiness.com.au.